Well, I reckon this episode's brought to you by Cards Against Humanity, and their city boy college folk don't want us to read no ad. So what do you want? Thanks? Well, thank you. Enjoy the show. Listen up, you. You've only got 48 hours left to buy your tickets to Suffocation 2016! You heard the man. Suffocation 2016 is only two days away. We've been on you about this for a fortnight and it's almost here. That's right. Southeast England's premier outdoor electronic dance music party rave. It's bleeding mental. Isn't it? Isn't it? What are you tramps think you're doing not having your tickets yet? I'll have you. Too right, he will. You've got to be a real nuts not a what a come to this year's Rendlesham Raver. If you like loud music, flashing lights and kipping in the woods, then you will need to come to the 2016 Suffocation Electronic Dance Phenomenon. It's unfucking believable With music by... Baby Spice, Pink Floyd, Tom Jones, Muse, Jeff the Talking DJ, The Rave Man of Bane McDoo, Special Guest, England's premier Motley Crue cover band, Royal Air Force, but that's not all. Also featuring sets by Pink Floyd, Prodigy, MC Jack Slap and the Toy Tay Boys, Mashup Virtuoso, Fatboy Slim Shady, Susan Boyle, The Funky Sounds of Fly Fox and the Gunpowder Squeezing, and Pink Floyd. All these and more brought to you by Mrs. Brixton's unexpectedly bright flashing lights. Hello, love. I'm Mrs. Brixton, and here I am, working my fingers to the bone for the lots of you. But look at these lights! You wouldn't expect them to be this bright, would you? But they are! And due to overwhelming public demand, we've asked Keith Richards not to attend this year. Sorry about that. Shut off, Keith! And if you're still not convinced, listen to this local tosser. I'll be going to that tomorrow. Now that's right, high praise. And that, and that, and that. So if you like meeting strangers in the woods, listening to strange sounds with flashing lights, then you need to come to Suffocation 2016! Rendlesham Forest. Sponsored by the Suffolk County Forestry Council. It's bleeding mental. I'll have you. There I was, Rendlesham Raver, 2016, who's there? Keith Richards. Right out of they the woods. They said he wouldn't come. They said they had his ticket price back. <laughs> they scared the piss out of me. <laughs> he looked like a knobby old troll just walking through the woods. <laughs> trying to just muttering stories about his long and varied musical career. Trousers hanging down to his knees. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Hello. David Flora. I'm Dave Stecco. <laughs> Welcome to Blurry Photos. It's a podcast. Have you heard? <laughs> That's right. Hope all you wankers are doing well. It's very hush-hush. Only tell everybody. <laughs> right. How's it going, Dave? Uh, it's going going pretty great. Going pretty great indeed. I went to the uh, Iowa State Fair, which is glorious. This year, they always have a giant cow made out of butter, but this year they also had, uh, they were celebrating uh captain james tiberius kirk so they had an entire enterprise made out of butter and uh the bridge crew made out of butter 
minus uh, like uh, Sulu, Scotty, and Chekhov. Oh wow! I think they ran out of butter. So so Kirk and Spock and Uhura, <laughs> and and Bones. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a Bones, but it was awesome. Tons of weird, fun food and uh, good times. That's cool. A lot of barbecue. Tons of barbecue. I just imagine Tons all pork. Everything is fried. There's nothing that is not fried. Uh, people were eating um, fried cheese on a stick, which I'm not opposed to, but the amount of cheese was enormous. It was like the size of a stick of butter yeah. fried. I'm like, who would no under normal circumstances, no one just eats that much cheese at a sitting. Well, and, and, and knows about it. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you compressed no one knowingly uh, cheese on a pizza. Let me introduce you to someone uh, I think you'll get along with. His name's David Flora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop you right there before you say something I'm going to feel some judgment about. So, <laughs> But no, it was a ton of fun. Sounds so fun. That, that's my fun news. How about you, Flora? What are you up to? Uh, they had the air and water show here this weekend in, in oh, Chicago. Oh, yeah. You're, and you're some of that. front and center for that. I am, yeah. You, you have prime real estate. Yeah, my, my current uh, situation has me to where I can I can watch all the loop-de-loops and, and yeah. smoky hearts and all the chemtrails that Obama's spraying on the people. Yeah, and you just lined right up for it. Yeah. So you're, you're just, you can't wait for the, the New World Order and the globalists. Front row seat for the uh, ma- mass dumbing down <laughs> Americans. <laughs> You're the only guy out on the beach with a gas mask on, <laughs> screaming sheep all over and yep, over. Yep. Wake up! So, yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, not, mu- not much else going on. Staying busy. There's a lot of stuff to, to catch up yeah. on and, you, and you've got a You've got a, a nuptial just just rolling into the into the station. I mean, yeah. you're, you're just uh, just over a month out. Just over. Yeah. As of this recording. Yeah, we, we find it uh, pretty amazing how many people don't want to take our money. They just, yeah. they won't communicate, and so they won't get our money. <laughs> that is the most Chicago thing on earth. Um, I ran into it at my old job, you know, trying to find vendors to do a thing. We ran into it trying to get t-shirts made. Like, motherfuckers do not want to get paid to do the thing that they ostensibly do for a living. Right. Yeah. It's so weird. It, it To me, it's more evidence that we're living in a simulation. Oh, there you go. Because <laughs> it's just like... Apparently, there's an economy up and running, but when you try to participate <laughs> no in that economy, in. Yeah. <laughs> what's actually, oh man, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Everything's going okay so far, but, um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. We got a, we got a real good episode for you. Let's, let's talk real podcast. Let's talk the reason for the season. What is the reason for this season? <laughs> the third week of eight of August season. <laughs> the season is, uh, heating up. With all kinds of uh, UFO activity on the radar, because yes. we're going to be talking about uh, the Rindlesham Forest incident. Yeah, that's right. Now, a lot of times when there's UFO activity on the radar, it's just one radar, but that's not good enough for you. It sure as shit isn't good enough for blurry photos. So we got two, two, two different radars. <laughs> there's not only uh, the RAF radar, but also the US radar involved. That's double radars, because you deserve it. You do deserve it. You also look great right now. Don't know if you... You probably don't get told that enough, do you? Yeah. You should because... Mm, <laughs> listener, you looking right. <laughs> you looking tight all night. 
Uh, and this that's the single largest mass stop listening ever. Yeah. Um, this one, uh, this one's fun. We've touched on it a bit uh, a couple times before. I think I know we at least I think we gave it a a, a quick hat tip in the oh. live episode. Yep. Yeah. It's it, it, it's. I mean, it's a really big deal. It's you know, and it's commonly called Britain's Roswell, and with good reason. Yeah. It's a pretty big. It's a pretty big hitter. I think if we were British, we probably wouldn't do it. Oh, because it's too A-list, huh? Yeah, it's my theory. That's a good point. Well, let's get into this a little bit. It's it's one of the most well-known UFO cases, like you said, outside of, of Roswell, um, which took place in late December of 1980 in a dark forest on the eastern coast of England. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Making this case particularly noteworthy are the witnesses, a handful of U.S. Air Force personnel and their accounts of what was experienced in the Rendlesham Forest. Strange lights in the sky and woods, marks on the ground, radiation, equipment failure, and other implausible occurrences allegedly befell these witnesses over a span of a few nights. Written statements were made by the military personnel and photographs were said to have been taken, as was a supposedly live tape recording of one investigation. One witness has even reported going up to and touching an unknown craft. And later, uh, witnesses saw beams of light within feet of their positions. Right up on them, right up on them, beams of light. Uh, There's also been what seems to be a message encoded in binary to come out of one witness's memory with some uh, rather chilling implications. (laughs) Now, with such solid evidence, Dave, why are we not taking vacations to the Pleiades or, or playing Cards Against Humanity with extraterrestrials right now? Well, they have a the, the, the extraterrestrials already have a game called gar- Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> it's very different, and it involves genocide. <laughs> Even more so than our game does. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, it occurred to me in, the, in going over this, Flora, can I have you just for the rest of this episode... It might get old, so we'll have to stop. But I'd like you to say Rendlesham Forest whenever it comes up, just in a Sean Connery accent. I feel like that's that's a phrase that really, really sings for a Sean Connerying. It, it might, yeah. I can I can try that. Um, so we'll we'll be taking a look at what supposedly happened during those cold December nights in 1980, including bits of the audio allegedly recorded, the accounts of the witnesses, and the strange evidence involved. And then we'll see if we can't suss out some of the facts at hand. Yeah, suss it! Figure out just what the hell might have happened in the Grindelsham Forest incident. <laughs> yeah! You feel, you feel like a good sussin', Dave? Uh, I'm always bussin' for a sussin'. I don't know. A fussin' for a sussin'? You know what I'd like more than anything? Because there's so much going on here. I'd like a detailed timeline. Let's uh, let's see what we can put together with that. Okay, uh, I, we All we right. might we might be able to get you one here. Uh, here is the account as it's been relayed from a mixture of sources. I guess that that is a bit of a caveat for us because we well we'll, we'll get to it in a bit. But you know how we do, dear listener. You know you know <laughs> how we do. We like to keep it real. Uh, and keeping by keeping it real, it real I mean keep, we keeping it real. We we start big and whittle it down to actual small. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We'll start with the you know the stories that you hear 
and all the fun stuff that goes into it. And then, you know, we, we tell you what, uh, what might be behind that. So, uh, keep that in mind as we go along here. So about 145 kilometers, which is about 90 miles northeast of London town is a dense conifer and mixed tree woodland along the coast of England, about 13 or so kilometers uh, eight miles west of the coast lies RAF Woodbridge. That's the Royal Air Force Base. And uh, just a kilometer northeast of that lies RAF Bentwaters. Now, these two air bases were constructed during World War II for Royal Air Force missions and were later manned by the United States Air Force during the Cold War. That was due to uh, uh, part of the NATO deal at the time. Americans called them the Twin Bases located pretty much in the middle of the forest there. At 3 a.m. on the morning of December 26th, 1980, some guards on duty at Woodbridge reported witnessing bright lights descending into the forest in what looked to them like a civilian aircraft landing or going down. Airman John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Bud Stevens had first seen the lights and called for another patrol to respond and confirm. Airman Ed Cabansig, Burroughs, and Air Force Security Policeman Sergeant Jim Penniston set off into the woods on foot to locate the source of the lights. Uh, hey everybody, sorry for the brief interruption, which was probably me just interrupting myself talking. Uh, sometimes in a podcast, whoops-a-daisies happen. I don't know why, but my end of the audio stopped recording for a second, so... Flora always keeps, because he's so damn good at this, uh, extra uh, recording of my raw audio on his end that just sounds a little bit worse. It's a backup. So, it's a backup. It's a <laughs> shitty backup. <laughs> it's a, a shitty, shitty backup. So sorry, the uh, audio quality on my end is gonna 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 eat a big fatty for a while, <laughs> and uh, and then we'll figure it out when we get back around. So sorry about that. On with the podcast. I don't know. Like on the one hand, of course they went out to go investigate uh-huh. and, and and I'm racking my brain to think of like, Oh, well, what did you expect them to do? But I'm also like, so what? They just like Scooby doo it. They just grabbed some flashlights. So like, well, let's go check it out. I guess that's what you do. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what more I want from that. Like, <laughs> like to the hovercrafts. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. Arm, arm the F 16s. No, Kabansig, get the rocket cycles. Yeah. <laughs> but sir, those are just prototypes. I said saddle up, soldier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess that I, I don't, I, I can't get over this feeling no. like, oh, that just seems kind of slipshod. But I, like, I get what? the feeling not a lot goes on at 3 a.m. in the morning on, a, yeah. on an Air Force base in the forest. True. So, in England. Yeah, I, I figured that. They might have been itching for some action, you know? Who knows? What do you want to bet? It'll never make it into any documented thing, but, like, Burroughs snuck up behind Penniston was like, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Knock it off, Burroughs! (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. uh, (laughs) Back to the... my third pair of trousers this week. <laughs> Damn it, Burroughs. You Damn promised it, you wouldn't Burroughs. do that anymore. Sorry, penis din. <laughs> Man, you know uh, he heard that a lot. Yeah. So uh, the reports of these airmen, uh, which we will you know, go through a little bit later, uh, they paint an interesting picture. Um, 
according to them, there was a pulsating red light that would, they could see through the trees. Pulsating. And as they got, did they say pulsating? I just, it's American. <laughs> it's pulsating then. Pulsating. <laughs> it's it's a just... pulsating red light uh, that was seen through the trees. And as they got closer to it, that realized, oh my God, it's Susan Boyle. <laughs> Uh, it seemed to maneuver away from them, uh, and as they uh, moved into a clearing, they finally saw what they described as a metal and conical aircraft with a bright red light above and a circle of blue lights below, uh, and was suspended in a yellow mist. <laughs> Probably Penniston, so scared, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, it was definitely, quote, mechanical in nature. Uh, the aircraft was approximately three meters wide, two meters tall, and three meters long. Um, because it was in England, so it's in meters. So just just get used to that. Uh, and lit up the surrounding forest with a white glow. Uh, Penniston said that the air felt electrified, and as he got closer to it while taking notes, he found it more difficult to concentrate and actually write. I don't... Yes, yes, as you get closer to the alien aircraft, it might be a little more difficult to write notes. I can see that. <laughs> Well, I feel like he's trying to imply that it was like somehow messing with his ability to. to I think that's learn. exactly what he's trying to imply. Yeah, I, uh, whatever. Yeah, my brain was scrambled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Note structure failing, <laughs> sentence syntax falling apart, adverb. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All of that written down. <laughs> he said there were strange glyphs on the side. Uh, he compared them to Egyptian hieroglyphics. And, and being the uh, stiff upper lip lad that he was, uh, ignored all the red flags and decided, yeah, why not? I'm, I'm going to touch it. Hey, Burroughs, who's the pussy now? <laughs> <laughs> Get that yellow mist ready. Yeah. Uh, he described the surface as smooth and like glass uh, and warm. And the glyphs were scratchy uh, like sandpaper. So I guess it's like, that, to my mind, that sounds like the way, sometimes the way they etch glass, you know, it's sure. that, that scratchy kind of. Yeah, that's a good point. Acid etching. Uh, after a bit, the uh, craft lifted off and flew east toward the coast. Uh, the airmen reported nearby farm animals, quote, went into a frenzy of f***ing and drinking and partying. Listen, it's England. There's always a trough full of ale. It's 80s England. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Thatcher can't stop this. Uh, they followed until they came to a field with a farmhouse on the other side and the Orford Nest Lighthouse beyond that on the coast. Local constables, because it's in England, uh, were called to confirm anything they could and showed up around dawn. Uh, they only saw the lights from the house and the lighthouse and left, muttering to themselves about the stupid, f***ing, scared airmen. <laughs> yeah. Stupid American airmen. Again. Uh, returning to the clearing, the airman noted three depressions in the ground in a triangular pattern, uh, one and a half inches deep and seven inches in diameter where the object had been sighted on the ground. Uh, Pennison made plaster casts of these marks. There were also burn marks on some nearby trees. Uh, around 10.30 a.m., constables were called again and came to photograph the apparent landing site of the craft. Uh, the photographs came back blank because the constables were like, it, I'm not even taking the lens cap off. I'm so <laughs> Probably what happened. So uh, uh, about a day went by without incident, but then early on the morning of December 28th, a light was seen again. 
This time, Deputy Base Commander Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt became involved and gave this report in an official memo. The area was checked for radiation. <laughs> Beta gamma readings of it. <laughs> I can't do that for the whole thing. This is a pretty long oh, It is kind of long, but I was enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> the area was checked for radiation. Beta and gamma readings of 0.1 millirentions were recorded with peak readings in the three depressions and near the center of the triangle formed by the depressions. A nearby tree had moderate, and in this case, 0.05 to 0.07 readings on the side of the tree toward the depressions. Later in the night, a red sun-like light was seen through the trees. It moved about and pulsed. At one point, it appeared to throw off glowing particles and then broke into five separate white objects and then disappeared. Immediately thereafter, three star-like objects were noticed in the sky. Two objects to the north and one to the south, all of which were about 10 degrees off the horizon. The objects moved rapidly in sharp, angular movements and displayed red, green, and blue lights. The objects to the north appeared to be elliptical through an 8 to 12 power lens. They then turned to full circles. The objects to the north remained in the sky for an hour or more. The object to the south was visible for two or three hours and beamed down a stream of light from time to time. Halt also brought a handheld linear microcassette recorder and recorded about 18 minutes of the investigation. Uh, we're going to play you a sample of... Just the good parts. Just what so he recorded. 18, yeah. We're going to play the entire 18 minutes while we go eat a burger. <laughs> Dude, you got burgers. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so we'll, put, we'll play a little bit of that tape. Um, edited for time. 150 feet or more from the initial, I should say, suspected impact point. Having a lift car, you can't get the line all the work. There seems to be some kind of mechanical problem. Let's send it back, get another light. Mean time, we're going to take some readings for the Gatter Kyer and uh, chase around here a little bit, wait for another light off to my pants. We're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmer's barnyard animals. They're very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. This is a pigmentation. You just saw a light yes, where? Sir. Wait, slow down. Where? Right on this position here, straight ahead in between the tree. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flash right there, yeah, sir. There it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So, yeah, can I get some of Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. Looks to be out maybe a quarter to half mile, maybe further out. I'm going to switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight, sir. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barnyard animals have gotten quiet now. Now it's that's coming up. Hold up. There we go. It's about approximately four foot off the ground. It's coming to the 110 degrees. We just run into the first night bird we've seen. We're about 150 or 200 yards from the site. Everything else is just deathly calm. There's no doubt about it. There's some type of strange flashing red light ahead. There's yellow. I saw a yellow tinge in it, too. Weird. It, it, it appears to be maybe moving a little bit this way. It's, it's brighter than it has been. Yellow. It's coming this way. It is definitely coming this way. Pieces of it are shooting off. There is no doubt about it. This is weird. Definitely moving off. Two lights. One light to the right, one light to the left. Keep the flashlights off. 
There's something very, very strange. Get the headset on. See if it gets any stronger. Okay. Give us, give us a rundown. I'll taste the headset on a beta reading, too. It's on a beta reading? Okay. The still has been removed. Okay. This is we're falling off it again. But it just moved to the right. Yeah. Off the right. Strange. We passed the farmer's house and across in the next field. Now we have multiple sightings of up to five lights with a similar shape and all, but they seem to be steady now rather than a pulsating or glow with a red flash. We just crossed the, the creek and uh, we're getting what kind of readings? Notes. Getting through three good clicks on the meter and we're seeing strange lights in the sky. Now, those are, those obviously are not like contiguous audio. We kind of edited that and just kind of put a few samples in there because it's an 18-minute chunk of audio. We're not going to throw that in there. But please, uh, do take some time. We'll have the, the link in the show notes um, to, to listen to the whole audio of that. It's, it's interesting. And it, I don't know, uh, to my mind, it, it's, it's a little bit of a roller coaster because it starts, there, there, there's a time there where the guy just keeps saying, this is just really interesting. And you can kind of hear him really strange. get into it. That's yeah, strange. <laughs> yeah. He's really, he kind of gets into it a little bit, you know, so, which I think that, uh, you know, uh, you can read that however you want. Could that be that he's kind of hamming it up for the audio or is that a person who's seeing something they don't understand and is just kind of getting caught up in the moment of it all? You know, I don't know. You tell me, don't actually yeah. tell me, just listen to it and talk to yourself. <laughs> um so so the weirdest part uh of that to me is him at the at the very end talking about the light beams that are coming down yeah and and saying that something's coming towards them it's coming right for us now what i was listening for and i didn't find i didn't hear much of it but you know there's so many other voices that you can hear he's clearly amongst other people what I was trying to hear is other people reacting to what he's describing. And I didn't hear very much of that. True. Like, you know, there's, oh, there's beams coming down. There's someone, there's something coming towards us. I didn't hear any like, oh, shit. Yeah. Hell, oh, hell. Those, you know, like any reaction to that, which obviously, you know, it's, it's just a little handheld micro cassette recorder. It's not like it's a parabolic microphone, but, <laughs> true. but early on, it seems to catch a lot of other audio. That is true. That is a, a very good point. Now, in, in a later interview, Halt actually spoke about those beams uh, that he talked about in the cassette recording at the end there in a little bit more detail, saying, One of them approached us at very high speed. This, now I feel like an asshole since we've all heard his voice now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you can do John yeah. Lane. 
I'd say it was at 2,000 to 4,000 feet in altitude, and it came <laughs> almost directly overhead and sent down the equivalent of a laser beam. It's the best I can describe it. <laughs> it did not go like a light beam and fan out. It came straight down, maybe 8 or 10 inches in diameter, and it fell just 8 or 10 feet from our feet. Pilgrim. <laughs> we stood there in awe, you know. Is this a warning? Is this a signal? Is this a communication? What is this, a weapon? And just as suddenly as it appeared, it disappeared, and the object moved back away from us a bit. And while we were standing there, then we noticed another object over the Woodbridge base sending down the equivalent. I didn't know this until recently because people had come forward after they'd retired. There were two radar confirmations. That's right. Blurry Photos gives you two radar confirmations. <laughs> two for you because one won't do. So that's interesting. It sounds like he saw another one, right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like this means that there's like another four dudes all with a teacup in their hands having the same experience elsewhere just at, in the just woods. At the, other, you know? at the other side of the yeah. forest. Good Lord, what is that in the heavens? I'm quite perplexed. I, I say, excuse me, you over there. <laughs> what is all this lighty-winky mission? What is box? all this then, eh? <laughs> Explain yourself. I haven't got all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Halt's memo about the incident was written 13 January 1981. Or January 13th, 1981, for our American listeners. <laughs> the dates were about a day off for the encounters, which has sparked some discussion in its own right. But in an interview with Sally Rail in 1997 for Microsoft's Project Watchfire, which I have no idea what is. Uh, oh, I can tell you. Uh, Project Watchfire was a, uh, an MSN TV show about UFOs in the late set, uh, 90s. Oh, okay. Um, that'd be, that's pretty early days for Microsoft Network. True. Well, uh, on this show, Halt uh, commented on that whole date issue, saying, you're, you're really getting some mileage out of Halt's uh, voice. Oh, yeah. I really am. Well, the, more, the more we do it, the more it's going to sound like me just reading something. <laughs> uh, I tried to go back and recover the police blotter and the security blotter, you know, to reaffirm the dates. Keep in mind, I wrote the memo several weeks later, and it was not a really important memo. The date was not critical. The critical portion was, you know, what happened and are you interested? And how about getting involved and, and let's investigate this? It's possible that I put the date down wrong, but I don't believe so. I tried to verify later, and the police blotters had been taken from, uh, from the repository, probably by a, a, how shall I say, curiosity seeker. Wink. A curioso. In the following years, interest grew little by little in finding out the truth of what happened in 1980. However, the interest was more of these curiosos, these curiosos, <laughs> than of Air Force intelligence. Why or, are they Italian? Or the <laughs> Ministry of Defense. In, in fact, some have speculated that the agencies involved have shown zero interest, which raises suspicion even more. <laughs> it's too quiet. Yeah, it's a little too quiet. 
The lack of evidence is evidence for a massive cover-up, and the two-week period between the events and Holt's memo point to a supposed period of debriefing and intimidation to keep the witnesses silent. Adding to this are the stories of freedom of information requests for the uh, for the time period, only to find huge gaps in intelligence files during that period. Now, you may have heard this, Dave. Some uh, military luminaries, these aren't actual military people, keep in mind, have said that Woodbridge was the site for secret U.S. nuclear missile storage and that it might connect it to the light beams Halt reported. It would have been a spot of particular interest for extraterrestrials, apparently. Because, you know, every time every time there's a UFO or, or a close encounter, they want to know where the nukes are. Right. Uh, you know, they, I guess, you know, there's, I guess we learned that in that, uh, that back to the future video, everything starts with the first atomic bomb test. So yeah, 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 yeah. they just want to know where they are. They will never do anything about the nuclear. They just want to know where they are. Yeah. Make sure that, uh, humanity's got everything under control. Right. Uh, you know, now one of the stranger additions to this story is Jim Penniston's later admission in 2010 that he initiated an apparent download of information when he touched the pictorial glyphs of the craft. What, he sat on this for 30 years? Uh, Yep. Touching the glyphs caused everything to become a brilliant bright white. He could neither see nor hear, and after an undetermined amount of time, things returned to normal. In the days following, Penniston began to seeing ones and zeros in his mind. He felt compelled to write them down. Once he wrote them, they disappeared from his mind. Thirty years later, the notebook resurfaced, and he decided to give it to a computer programmer he met at a bar. bar. The programmer, Joe Luciano, maybe a secret member of the Curioso, decoded the (laughs) Joe the Cat Luciano. Uh, decoded the following from Penniston's notebooks. Joe Hackerman Luciano. <laughs> Exploration of Humanity 6668100 52.0942532N13. And just uh, then it's something about high Brazil. It, it, it's uh, latitude longitude. It's coordinates. Uh, or high Brazil. Which apparently Perfect. comes out right over the, uh, the, the ocean there to the west, to the southwest of Ireland, which we are familiar with. Yeah, which is pretty far from there, at least, you know, uh-huh. we go across everything. Uh, continuous for planetary advan, three question marks. Fourth coordinate, continue OT, blah, blah, gibberish before. Then it's coordinate, coordinates for uh, a whole bunch of places, apparently. Uh, Caracol, Belize, Sedona, Arizona. The Great Pyramid in Giza, of NASA lines, yeah. Taishan Ku in China, Portara at Temple of Apollo in Naxos, Greece. Eyes of your eyes. Moon of my moon. Khaleesi, right. 2016. <laughs> Some more high Brazil stuff and origin year 8100. UFologists debate whether or not this decoding is optimistic or pessimistic for humanity. I'm going to lean towards pessimistic as it makes no sense. Laura? Uh, have to be pessimistic. The 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 thing about this decoding, a lot of these, and I don't know if you'll notice this in my notes. Uh, I don't have uh, notes in color, but on one of the sites I linked to, I think I'm going to link to this one. Maybe I won't. 
a lot of this stuff is super crazy, uh, fun time disco party. But like, I, I feel like there's a lot of uh, bulletin boards with yarn on strings. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a lot of rooms, like from wall to wall. It's like walking into fucking Shelob's lair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, this is so, you know, it's just lame. Like uh, 30 years later, I forgot to tell everybody that. Uh, I got the sum of all knowledge put into my head <laughs> in binary code that I memorized or wrote down, and then, like, wh- yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, if I, hey, hey, welcome back, audio, by the way. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, hey, there's a regular sounding Dave. I, I don't know if I, if I got to mention this or if I went off on my awesome simile, but uh, <laughs> in, in the notes here, um, the, the things that are bold denote. Oh yeah, somebody filling in the blanks. So so it's Wait. like whoever the the guy that de- decoded this just sort of was like, um, I think this is what goes here. It's not a lot, but it's a few spaces. Oh, but wait a minute, though. No, no, because the guy who decoded it just filled in a lot of stuff. Well, like the the exploration of humanity six six six. He filled in two of those sixes. Two. It's true. What? What the? F- <laughs> also, he filled in the F on of. It was a pretty sweet Irish translation before that. Yeah, exploration of humanity. <laughs> and then fourth, the whole word fourth, F O U R T H. The the vowels, every vowel in that one is filled in. <laughs> Yeah, and he filled in like lo- numbers on almost every coordinate. Yeah, you can't fill in numbers to make on them coordinates. Work. Right. So you're probably getting the taste in your mouth that we are feeding you from our our questioning intonations and in our voice and our sarcastic right? tones, maybe. Ugh. So let's take this perfect opportunity to go into the facts and the fictions. Yes. Uh, now these are, there's a number of things at play here, uh, but at least we have some written and legitimate testimony as opposed to um, usually our, your usual diet of anecdotes. Right. We've got some actual uh, we got some, healthy we, grains. Yeah. A legitimate testimony salad. There's some kale in there. Oh. The question is, though, does that actually prove anything better uh, in this case? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a look at the different parts of this and see if it if see if this uh, <laughs> anecdote salad makes a casserole or an asshole. <laughs> I like that. Now the the most important information to examine in this whole thing are the statements of the airmen. That's what I think anyway. Yeah, uh, their reports differ so wildly uh, that the case could just be dismissed before it even starts. Firstly, the only witness to claim he saw a mechanical object was. Peniston. The others have only ever described seeing lights. Secondly, Burroughs and Cabansig confirm that they chased this unidentified light for about two miles before realizing what it was. Which was, Dave? The light from the Orphan Nest Lighthouse! That's right. Could be, a, could be an H.P. Lovecraft story. <laughs> yeah! Uh, with the forest being above sea level, the lighthouse light, which apparently was red in color, uh, could appear to be floating a few feet off the ground from a distance. Given their unfamiliar and given their unfamiliarity with the woods, the airmen mistakenly thought the light was from a craft they could never seem to catch. 
the yellow mist was piss. No, uh, it was... Uh, sweet, sweet urine. It was uh, simply fog tinged with light from the nearby farmhouse. That makes perfect, reasonable sense, and I like it. I, I, I smell a butt here. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I, I smell a real, or, big, could you, real dirty butt could you, here. <laughs> could, you, could you lean over here and really smell this butt? <laughs> Get, getting a whiff of a butt. Neither the airbase nor the lighthouse... Go anywhere. They are fixed points. Airbase is going to air. Lighthouse is going to light. This scenario plays out every single day identically. So yeah, I can so I can how, stitch that together for you in a bit. I think. Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna save savor that flavor. Save it a little. Save bit. Save it. I'll savor that flavor um, of the Rendlesham Raver. <laughs> Yeah, there, there, there are two things I'll, I'll come back to on that, if I can remember. Uh, astronomer Ian Ridpath, who has uh, a site that I am going to link to. It's got an analysis of basically everything that goes on in this whole case. He spoke t- to Burroughs, apparently, and uh, Burroughs said, Peniston was not keeping a notebook as it went down. Peniston didn't have time to make any sketches in a notebook while this was going on, and he didn't walk around it for 45 minutes. Additionally, uh, Peniston. 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 Penis is a boy's name. (laughs) (laughs) Originally. (laughs) Peniston originally. (laughs) Yes. Penis is a boy's name. Originally estimated that he got no closer than about 50 meters to the object and that every time he tried to approach it, it moved ahead of him. This was relayed at the time by radio to his supervisor, Master Sergeant Chandler, who confirms it in his own statement. There was no mention at the time of the much closer and extended encounter that Peniston has since claimed. Furthermore, the local constabulary and foresters that were called in ultimately found nothing unusual. I like that they called in constables and foresters. Well, Ian Ridpath at least asked uh, one of the forestry workers around there for his uh, uh, two pence, as it were. (laughs) His 2P. His 2P. On the night of the initial incident they, uh, incident, they reported that the only lights visible were from the Orford Nest Lighthouse. They attributed the indentations on the ground to animals, specifically rabbit diggings, not to any set pattern. And the, quote, burn marks on the trees were axe cuts in the bark made by the foresters themselves as a sign that the trees were ready to be felled. And felled they were not long after that. Yep. One interesting note to this, there was a reported meteor that night, uh, a, a bright one that eventually broke up around uh, 2.45 a.m. Uh, this was uh, confirmed by some of the space heads. At the, Local at the nerds confirm. <laughs> <laughs> the eggheads at Oxford. Yeah, the, egg, the eggheads at Oxford. This, uh, this is where I'm going to, I think, stitch this to, together for you. Guys see a, a, a light overhead, pass overhead, bright flashing light, lights up the sky, yeah. gets them interested to follow it to see what, what the hell this is. You know, gets like, them all boned up for a mystery. Exactly. Got a raging oh. clue out there. Um, <laughs> Guys, let's plunge into the forest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Burrows! <laughs> Peniston, come on. And... um. And so they go out there looking for what they think, like we said before, and like they said, was a downed civilian aircraft. 
they don't find that, but they start seeing the red light from the lighthouse through the woods. And since the lighthouse is about on a five second blink, it's it's yeah. giving them fits as they're you know they move as it as it blinks, it goes out. You know they move for five seconds. Five seconds later, it's sort of in a different spot. And they're all mystery jangled up in their head. They're and getting now they're, more and they're more on the hunt. Jangled. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they they were pre-boned. Now they're like reboned. <laughs> yeah, let's let's please keep going with this metaphor. <laughs> and it's not until the cold, cold light of dawn that these poor, poor, hardworking airmen get deboned. <laughs> Sad slide whistle sound. <laughs> um. So that is sort of a a stitching together for you that of of what I think after we go through all this, um, you can have in in your head. As plausible, yeah. more plausible, perhaps. Yeah, that that is that is. I, I like that. That makes good sense. Thanks, Florba. Okay. Uh, that now, speaking of the radiation, that um, uh, we weren't speaking of it, but I'm I'm I just now spoke of it. So the radiation uh, picked up by Halt. You know, it was on the uh, oh, yeah. some of the, the, the audio. audio and and that we talked about. Well, it, it turned out to be consistent with normal background levels. Apparently, he just didn't know how to f- to read a, a Geiger counter. And he probably, do you think that he just read like one side of the, the tree? Like he just, he took readings where he was looking for radiation then said, I found some radiation. Maybe. Yeah. There was no yeah. like a uh, uh, constant to, for him to, <laughs> yeah, no, to measure from. I, I don't know. Like I said, it, it's it, what they have determined is that there was no special radiation anywhere in, in that landing site or anywhere around there. Hmm. What about the Orford Nest transmitting station, Flora? Well, there, one of the, one of the things that Ian Ridpath, I think brings up is that there's, um, uh, this transmitting station. That's a couple miles North of the lighthouse, which has five big transmitter towers that each have red lights on top. And, um, they don't blink. They stay solid, but, it's thought that maybe they had they come into play a little bit with what they were seeing with the red lights and, and this and that and red lights in the night. Red lights and in which, the night. Which makes a pretty good amount of sense. So now you've got guys who've been running around in the woods for an hour or so. They're all freaked out. We know what's happening with the bones. Sure, sure, okay. sure. Yeah. But now now the any there's no such thing as like a reasonable light now. Now any light you see is is a, is a clue. It's a hot piece of whatever they're they're chasing down. Yeah. You know, I can see how everything just gets stitched into the narrative at that point, right? Because they're all kind of feeding each other. And the the one weird outlier in this for me, anyway, is uh, the light beams. Yeah, lasers. Lasers. Now, uh, Ridpath believes uh, Ridpath. Ian Ridpath is an astronomer. Did I say that? Uh, yeah. No. Well, maybe. Um, and and I think he just took special interest in in kind of debunking this this case, but uh, Ian Ridpath believes that the beams Halt described in the tape are from the glare produced by the stars Vega and Deneb, um, and and that includes also how he was saying there were uh, objects moving towards them and and in the sky and stationary and then moving around this and that. Well, he thinks those are stars that. Um, Halt was describing, and then the the glare from the stars creates a uh, a, a vertical shaft or or something that that you would attribute to maybe being a beam coming down from from something. I don't believe that even a little bit. 
I have never in my life seen a, a, a vertical glare from a star with my own eyes. I can see how like a lens flare could do that. I can see how you could, if you wanted to create that effect on purpose, do that with a camera. I feel like that's a real reach. Uh, I, I agree, but uh, then I think about Halt using that star scope or, or what was it? Right. That's a that's a Vietnam era. Uh, uh, it's a starlight scope. It's a, a first gen night vision. Okay. Would that cause? Would would that show up on something like that if he was just primarily looking through that? I mean, it could. I mean, he talks about how it blinds him because those things are designed to amplify light. So any light that gets in there, if you look at a lighthouse, yeah, it's not going to work out for you. Right. Um. I I don't know the. The the display, as far as I understand it, and don't quote me here, but the the display for a uh, night for night vision in general is not like the uh, display that you have for a camera. It's not like you're looking through a lens that creates a flaring effect. If anything, I mean, everyone has seen it's it's very grainy. Yeah, um, it's a different. It's a it's, it's like a, a grayish, think, right? Yeah, it's like a green. Uh, but it's like a, a an activated phosphorus display is my understanding of it. I could be totally wrong here, but it doesn't. I don't think that it operates in a manner that would do that. It could. I don't know. I've never used a Vietnam era starlight scope. God, I, please someone send me one. I would <laughs> love that. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe it's possible. It just it seems like such a weird thing because also he's describing uh, a moving object and those stars are very thoroughly not moving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ridpath addresses that on the website too. I think, of course I didn't, I didn't write that down. I didn't put it. I, I didn't want to copy the guy's website verbatim and, and put it on huh. Fair uh, enough, in our fair show. Enough. So how about, how about the binary code flora? Uh, if, if Peniston is, to <laughs> <laughs> Peniston is to be believed, then there is uh, a pretty simple question you can ask yourself. If binary code is how the aliens communicate, how would they know how to translate it into our language? How would they know to organize their thoughts into binary that we would translate into English? Does that make sense? Does that, is that? Yeah. Like. So, no. Yeah. So furthermore, and this is something that we run across in a couple of different alien communication things. Like if an alien can encode a message in music if they can encode it into the special geometry of a location if they can encode it into binary why the not just write it out yeah if they if they understand us to the point of creating puzzles for us (laughs) why yeah you know why encode it at all you know so i i think it's just uh i think that that plays more to people's belief of how it would go but I mean, can you imagine yourself as an intergalactic traveler going to a different planet and being like, well, I really, there's some important information I need to communicate to these people. They need to know this. So I'm going to hide it. <laughs> I'm going to make it a real pain in their ass. Now I've been monitoring them for a long time. So I speak their language fluently and I understand how they've programmed their computing machines to read information. So here's what I'm going to do. Stop me if you heard right. this one. I'm going to to mentally implant just to him gibberish. 
I'm just going to just fill this poor little shaved ape with ones and zeros that he won't be able to get out of his head till he writes it down. I know I understand his brain physiology so much. I'm going to make a compulsion that he can't do anything until this gets written down. <laughs> and for the funsies of it, what the hell? I'm not going to let him talk about it for TikTok 30 years. <laughs> Sound good? Perfect. <laughs> Anywho. I got to finish this up because I've got like seven more cows to probe. <laughs> still just, still waiting on them to figure out the code I've implanted. <laughs> right. But if he figures it out, we'll know he's real cool. Right. Oh, they're like, oh, so you're just going to like, are you going to, are you going to capture him and inject this? Are you going to do this in the lab? Oh, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for him to touch my boat. I'm just going to. What I did is I, I, I rigged the exterior of my ship with a telekinetic mind probe beam. Well, what if, what if you touch the ship? Well, then I'm fucked. Then, I, then I've got this in my head. I, you know, so everyone, rubber gloves until someone touches the exterior of the ship. Yes. Either that or, or it was, all right, uh, Nibnorb, we've, uh, <laughs> we've completed your ship. Everything's great. It's capable of interstellar travel and shielding you from all harmful effects of uh, uh, any radiation from space, and you can enter atmospheres with it. Uh, uh, one side effect, though, if you touch it, you're going to uh, have a bunch of code downloaded into you. Sorry, just, you know. Permanently downloaded into your brain. What if, better yet, what if inside the aircraft there's, there's four aliens and Space Burrows <laughs> is like... Space. Guys, watch this. Hey, Space Peniston, <laughs> why don't you go out first? I think there's something on the outside of the ship. You should touch it. <laughs> and then some sad little idiot, uh, barely a hominid, comes shambling out of the woods and touches it. Burroughs is like, damn it, he ruined it. <laughs> Space bur- Blib Blurrows. Blib Blurrows. Blib and Glick Glick. Peniston? Yeah, plip, plip Peniston. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, well, so. yeah, that's that's kind of what you get with, with all this. And, and that's it's because that uh, our buddy Peniston's uh, account of the incident has, has grown in proportion just a bit since his initial statement. As pointed out earlier, he didn't actually touch anything or record anything into a notebook. In recent TV interviews, he shows the sketches, the binary notebook, and uh, describes touching this craft. But compared to his original statements, inconsistencies all over the place. Of course, it could be argued that several, maybe even a dozen individuals and two government agencies have conspired to keep it all under wraps this whole time. You can you can argue that if you'd like. Right. Yeah. It could be a, a huge conspiracy. To, at this point in the game, you have to. Uh, the intimidation they they they've come out to say that you know the people were intimid- intimidated uh, by the governments and 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 yet we've got you know a few of these guys talking willy nilly about this these days. Uh, speaking of the cover up, Halt and Peniston were debriefed separately by Colonel Ted Conrad, Halt's commanding officer. These were the only two witnesses Conrad talked to. He didn't talk to anybody else that was involved. Some conspiracists, some conspiracists say they were subjected to interrogation by the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, including injections by the so-called truth drug, sodium pentothal. Mm -hmm. However, in January 2010, Colonel Conrad 
told researcher David Clark that no investigations beyond his own had been conducted. Conrad stated, There were no conspiracies, no secret operation, no missile accident, and no harsh interrogations by OSI. I was in a position to know about the OSI. They had their own chain of command, but in practice, the OSI commander kept me informed of any ongoing investigations they had. Wait a minute. No missile accident? Dave, what? (laughs) I just noticed that. Yeah. Why would you even bring that up? (laughs) Nobody said anything about missiles, Conrad. No missile accident. Stories of gigantic 70-pound radioactive spiders are completely made up, (laughs) and there's no reason that you guys should ever go into the woods again. Also, um... You should also keep your windows shut for a while, at least till the winter. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the thing. I think people were saying that it was, if it wasn't aliens and there was a nuclear weapons accident or something, you know. Oh, that they were trying to cover up getting, some kind of, yeah, uh, that, yeah mishap. Yeah, I think that, that was getting kicked around okay. a little bit here. Well, then I'll accept that. <laughs> and and then uh, to to conclude for you, there, there's just, there's not much to the minor details that are there here and there uh, that, we may have uh, uh, glossed over a little bit, but it's kind of hard to piece together a timeline, a, a real timeline, because so much of it has gotten conflated with with the sexier details throughout the years. You know, the, the salacious, the, exciting, titillating nuggets, the touch of the warm glass craft, and <laughs> the, the chasing uh, the the things through the the woods and the beams of light that almost hit them and. And are they are they hostile? Are they not? And so the touch, the feel of psychokinetic aluminum, the, the fabric, fabric of the fourth Lord. dimension. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the preponderance of evidence suggests natural explanations. Just m- most notably misidentification, some straight up fabrication of details. That's that's what I'm left to conclude in this, Dave. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you know, I did a little other looking because uh, all the information that we are that we've gone over today, the 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 majority of it, is all uh, comes from the American side of things. Oh, and um, and so I I was kind of looking at like, well, okay, well, they even said, oh yeah, the Brits had one floating around there. So like, what was the British response to this? Um, virtually none. They they were at, when it happened, they're like, yeah, we're we're not too worried about it. We're we, we do not take this seriously. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, around the year 2000 or so, uh, a little after, they were really hitting up the British Ministry of Defense, kind of like their version of a Freedom of Information Act request. They're like, listen, we think you have a file on this. Oh, yeah. We think it's a large file, and we want to see it. And so finally, someone was like, fine, here. And it is a pretty large file. And it's just internal memos about all of like the news reporters and everyone asking for a statement and all them being like, just, I don't know, send them to this guy. Yeah. It's literally, it has nothing to do with the incident. It was the entire file is how the ministry of defense had to deal with people trying to learn about the incident. (laughs) They're like, we never did an investigation. (laughs) So, so this whole file is just us trying to figure out how to, answer questions when we didn't do an investigation because we never wanted to. (laughs) So I enjoyed that part of it too. That's great. Apparently there were no radar blips after all like that. That was found out to, I mean, or it wasn't found in those files or covered up. up. (laughs) Missing redacted. 
the uh, one thing I didn't mention the the plaster casts. I mean, I, I think since they were rabbit holes, nobody gave a <laughs> right about the plaster that came out. That's, I don't know. This one was to me uh, incredibly disappointing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it be sounds cool and creepy, you know, up at, up at the top of it, and all the the crazy ass shows that come out that obviously take liberties with a lot of the shit and and pump it up full of like UFO steroids. <laughs> Oids. Oids. It gives it more legitimacy than I think it deserves. Yeah. The only way it could be re-energized as some kind of, you know, actual mystery is if uh any photographs or or actual intel files surfaced, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Even even then it's kind of like, well, at this point now 40 years later. Yeah. So I almost. I don't think this was as big a a mystery as as the people who want you to watch their shows will make it out to be. Yeah, exactly. This is grist for the for the people who are trying to write books and make TV shows and, you know, I, I see I get it, you know, people thought a thing happened or I mean, it, the hoax, hoax has been thrown out there. I don't know that it was. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get the feeling that it was a hoax. Mm-hmm. The event was a hoax. I think that I would go so far as to say, you know, Peniston's uh, elaborations. I think at this point are tantamount to a hoax after the fact. Yeah, he's kind of taking it, and running with it. Maybe then he saw the he saw the baby, and the baby waved at him. Yeah, the the baby gave him binary code. Yeah. Yeah, it just sort of sort of unravels to a weird spot uh anymore with with that kind of stuff. So, still fun to look at and I I hope I hope people that that listen to us um that's you listener. That's that's a very terrible <laughs> that, way to say you. <laughs> that's you. I hope you guys uh are like us learning how to think more critically about certain things. I know I am. I I don't know about you Dave, but I just I just eat it all up. You you I believe all of it. Eat it up and and have a diaper full of uh skepticality. <laughs> oh god. You, just a diaper full of skeptoid. <laughs> I'm actually I've actually never listened to skeptoid. It might be a great podcast and I don't know it. I don't know why I'm I am I'm taking uh uh swipes at it cuz I don't know anything about the guy. You know, cuz you know it makes me happy, but <laughs> <laughs> that's why. It, there's information there. There's there's lots of information. It's just it's just drier than a cracker in in the desert. That's a dry cracker, dude. Um, oh, that's a dry cracker. <laughs> so, anyways, I think I think that'll do it for us for uh, Rindlesham Forest in a a dark, uh, flashing light, binary uh, code infused nutshell. Oh, uh, a yellow mist. <laughs> yeah, with, <laughs> sitting in in yellow mist. Oh, that's awesome. Wait a minute, Flora. Do you see that over there through, through the trees? Wait, I- let me let me get out my star scope, starlight star scope. star star tropics. What do you Stop. see, Flora? What well, do you see? It looks like. <laughs> Wait, am I, am I space Flora or am I regular? <laughs> Who knows? Um, I've got a I've got a real easy one for you. I'm going to lead with a bunt. Okay. Uh, did you know that there is a uh, a forest uh, in southeast England? Where What's it called? Go out, uh, it, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. 
when you if you go out there you can find uh, all kinds of people who will be happy to tell you about the the uh, fairies and fey folk aliens reptilians uh bigfoot sasquatches chupacabra all the things that live in the forest uh but you know a little something for the effort it's going to cost you at least five five pounds five quid five quid it's the uh, the rendell scam forest oh he's sniffing up my tree son oh i don't know if you know this but there was a crime incident that happened over a three-night period in Woodbridge just recently. Have you heard about this? What? Maybe see it, seen it on BBC or uh, something? Yeah, well, I was on uh, Mystery uh, uh, da- uh, Daily uh, Masterpiece Theater. Masterpiece Theater. Uh, a local airbase was targeted and ended up losing a lot of money they thought was going to charity. There was a group of singers who visited late at the airbase a couple of nights last December saying they were selling ebook readers to raise money for their church singing group. Turns out the readers were fake, and they just pocketed the cash. What? It was the Kindle scam chorus. Oh, that's close. Yeah, <laughs> like that. So, did you, uh, you know, further evidence of uh, further research into this entire incident? Um, all of this could have been avoided if only the American airmen ever got off base, because. For weeks, there had been signs, uh, posters put up everywhere that everyone knew that there was going to be an event that night. That's why the Brits weren't upset at all, you know. And if you if you went out there, you could. It was as clear as day what was going on. It turns out that on that evening, uh, for the benefit of Mister Kite, there was a show that night on trampoline. Um, the Hendersons were there. Uh, they actually were at Pablo Fanca's fair. It was uh, quite a scene. There was a, uh, a hogshead of real fire. And uh, Mr. K, Mr. Kite, challenged the world. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Everybody had a really good time. Really? The Beatles? What? For the benefit of Mr. Kite? Oh. It's about a kite that flies through, like, hoops of fire in the air, and everyone in the British countryside goes out to see it. Man, that one has missed me. Oh, well, maybe I did a really shitty job of it, but I'm sticking by it because no, I, I know I, I the like song, song itself has missed me. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I don't think I've, I've heard that one. It might be one of my favorite Beatles songs. It's on Sergeant Pepper. Maybe I've heard it and I don't, I don't know, man. I'm sorry. Sorry, uh, everyone. <laughs> sorry, world. <laughs> but <laughs> that one, that one <laughs> has not stuck in, uh, uh, my oh. memory banks. No worries. Sorry, man. Yeah. So to, everyone to finish, else will love that that pun. To, to finish my pun, if only they had understood that it was that's what they were seeing. That was what all the lights were. It was a hogshead of real fire, and Mister K was gonna do hoops, and it was gonna be amazing. <laughs> you go, Flora. Please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know where it's the not joke. your fault. It's I mine. I don't know where the punchline is. <laughs> <laughs> if if, uh, if I have to explain it, I'm the one who fucked it up. No, that's no, how jokes work. No, it's not I'm, your fault. <laughs> Everybody knows the Beatles. I I don't know that one. Uh, I I I feel I feel like a Hoffman. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna get so much. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I don't think so. I'd like to apologize I... to my parents. Uh, I'd like to apologize <laughs> to my uh, uh, acting coach. <laughs> I'd like to apologize to the Academy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The entire British Isles. <laughs> <laughs> 
Al. All right. Uh, well, let me see if I can uh, if I can get you one here. Uh, there's a building on the coast of Suffolk where people gather to discuss issues facing the working class. <clears throat> working <issue>. class. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of turned into like Christoph Waltz there. Or something. Wait, you were trying to get it out. <laughs> I was. I breath. was running out of breath. Uh, to discuss issues facing the working class and to screen films of documentaries. While they raise a lot of interesting points, no one really likes their building and how mouthy they can get at the Michael Morfordness Lighthouse. <laughs> Do you know that my uncle sued him? Fun fact. Did he win, though? And won. He yes, did? he did. Well, they were friends. They were both from Flint, Michigan. They mm-hmm. grew up together. And then he sold them out. Yeah. I, I have a hard thing with Michael Moore because, truth be told, at the end of the day, I, I agree with what... I agree with his perspective. Sure. But I I I detest his methods. I his think presentations. Real, yeah, I think he's very sleazy and he'll do anything to make it look like the world agrees with him rather than say this is my perspective and rather than really do a ton of work and find good evidence, I'll just create something that looks like what I want it to look like. I think I can I I, I see where you're coming from on that. So them's puns. Bams is what them's we call puns. puns. Them's is 100% USDA certified puns. From farm to plate, David Floor and David Stecco are going out there with that bolt gun from No Country for Old Men <laughs> right out to the, the herd where the puns roam free. We put them down, skin them, gut them, and bring back only the choicest cuts for you, the listener. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> please, just, please stop me. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I did think of a uh, not so superpower. Uh, I was driving around in a car with my beloved fiance. And what about uh, laser vision? So you have laser vision eyes, laser eyes, but it, they're just like laser pointers. <laughs> so you can accidentally like blind people with eye contact, or <laughs> people just know if you're surreptitiously looking at somebody's butt. <laughs> Hilarious. I thought of one, but. It was. I th- I think it is an actual superpower. I don't think it's a mundane or or a a useless one. Okay. It's call forwarding. Every time you you get on a call that you just don't want to be on, you can automatically fast forward to the end of it. That is a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought of one that I thought was like super mundane. That was just uh called the upgrade, where um if you buy a coach seat you get first class. Everything you buy, you just get, if you buy a medium, you get a large. It's like the I think AMC that's a super, Stubbs card. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a superpower though. Yeah, that's definitely a superpower, yeah. If you buy the uh, the SL model, you get the XE. <laughs> I never understand what, they always use those weird letters for cars and I don't they understand don't know. what it's supposed to. Yeah, they they throw a, a dart at a f***ing dartboard of letters and that's what they come yeah. up with. You know who else does that? Who? Listeners who write with <laughs> How's nice that for sag. seamless? Yeah, right? Right? Yeah. Well, I I, yeah. I think I started it off last time. How about you kick it off? All right. Got one here from Cassie. Hi, Cassie. She says, hello, D&D. First time caller, longish time listener. Believe you. Heard about us on Reddit. Kick ass. Nice. Uh, I'm a musician, and as such, I have many long drives, but Blurry Photos always makes them a delight. I thank you for that. We thank you, Cassie. Yes. 
thanks for listening. And as a musician, you have continued to listen, which is surprising. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And she said uh, a story that happened to her a couple months ago. Uh, She she was at a pretty sketchy swap meet that uh, had had food stands, a bar, and a stage. In which Welcome to the Midnight Swap Meet. <laughs> <laughs> in which only bad cover bands play all night. I don't know why this is this is bad so far. Yeah. That night it was a U2 cover band. Would that be called Us 2? Um, I uh, would call it... I'd call it You Also. You, you Also. <laughs> nothing, will, nothing will ever beat Other Boy. <laughs> <laughs> As me and my friend were enjoying beer and the sweet sounds of uh, fake U2, you also, uh, fake Bono addressed a man who was on the dance floor. We have a very special guest in the audience tonight, he said. I'm so excited he's here. Everyone, please meet Mike Barra. He's one of my very closest friends and a regular guest on the show, Ancient Aliens. What? She said, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my entire life. When we, we calmed down to a dull roar, we stormed onto the dance floor to observe Mike in his natural environment. He was singing along to every song and mildly bopping to the beat with his friends. I took a sneaky picture of him when he wasn't looking, and this is my only proof that it actually happened and was not a weird fever dream. I think about the ancient alien star and fake Bono being best friends all the time and all the adventures they must go on together. <laughs> his his real name's Donald, but he goes by Dono. <laughs> Does that mean real Bono's name is Bonald? <laughs> yes. Um, it's a it's a it's a traditional Irish name. <laughs> My name's Bonald. <laughs> oh, wee Bonald lad. A, yeah, exactly. It used to be a woman's name, which is where you get the phrase "wee Bonnie Lass." You know? um, uh, lastly, I was wondering if you'd heard of a book that I was obsessed with when I was younger called "The Weird One Hundred. It explains one hundred paranormal odd topics in a couple of pages each, and the author wrote a haiku for each topic. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds cool. And uh, she says it has topics we've covered and also some we should cover. So, um, what kind of topics, Flora? <laughs> spontaneous human combustion. Do you mean spontaneous? No, no, I don't. No, I don't. I sure don't. <laughs> Keep up the amazing podcast. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you, Cassie. Yeah, thank, thank you, Cassie. I want to hear more about these sketchy swap meets. I'd like to go to a sketchy swap meet, especially with cover <laughs> bands. With bad cover bands? Yeah. Oh, got a quick, uh, we got an email from Timon. Two emails from Timon here. Hi, Timon. Uh, first one says, hello, Timon. Um, Wait, he says hello to himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying hi, Timon. Ta- ta- sorry. I'm Tai Tai to Timon. And also because I assume there's some Achilles in there, I'm saying hello to Achilles as well. Um, hey, real quick, this may have already been mentioned, but the doors to nowhere that some Victorian houses have on their upper floors were anti-burglary measure that was popular for some time. Known as Irish elevators due to the widespread racism against the Irish and the belief that they were all idiots, doors would sometimes have signs saying treasury or such in an attempt to entice the foolish criminal to go through that door. Some of the more vicious ones had iron spikes and other traps underneath the door uh, for the would-be thief to impale themselves upon. Jesus. Uh, they fell out of fashion partially due to the low number of criminals stupid enough to fall for it, um, <laughs> though there was some who ended up taking a drop. Uh, you're probably going to have to suffer through a series of misses from me as I have a cold on top of my normal infirmity and am bored out of my skull and just saving everything and writing a mega letter only means I never send anything. <laughs> oh, which explains volume two in a moment. <laughs> so now the Chronicles of, of Timon, volume two. 
Let's talk Wendigo. Uh, if I had to pick the one specific traditional myth that scares me the most, it is the Wendigo. It packs many of the horror types, so many of the horror types into one creature. So, of course, being the mad academic that I am, I researched the shit out of it. <laughs> See, now, Timon wrote bleep, but I went ahead and supplied <laughs> a swear word. Uh, so here's a few more of the obscure facts surrounding this monster. First off, it's still active. When cannibalistic murders happen, there are still people who say it was the Wendigo possessing the person. Uh, secondly, Wendigo psychosis reported, was reported in a handful of cases uh, where the First Nations were not involved. Uh, usually white trappers. Now, see, this... Now, I know Timon has let us know that he's Canadian before, but that's the real tip of the hand. Only Canadians use the phrase First Nations, and I prefer it. Thank you, Canada. Thirdly, while the most common thing called the Wendigo is what you discussed, it is also a term used by some cultures for other spirits associated with winter, the wilderness, or madness. Uh, Ken Height looks like did an amazing RPG supplement that talks about it. There's no, you'll never surprise me to say that Ken knows more about something than we do. <laughs> Ever, never. Uh, fourthly, the way many Wendigo myths play out is it follows people in starvation situations act when they turn to cannibalism, most notably trying to convince or force others to participate in the act. Uh, in most Wendigo myths that include this, it's usually to give the spirit more potential hosts. In, rea in real psychology, uh, it's about the feeling that things are okay if everyone else is doing it or you're justifying the act by being able to say to yourself that you are saving everyone through the act. Well, how about this part of it? Loss of lips, effed up feet, bony claws for hands. Um, these are descriptors of severe frostbite, but uh, in some of the, the stories, the person actually chews off their own lips. Blech. How are you going to whistle, bro? <laughs> Think it through. Think it through. The wind does it for you. And uh, and finally, the most overlooked but fascinating aspect of the stories is there's another surefire way to open oneself up to position by the Wendigo, and that was hoarding food. It is often hard for people in Western culture, uh, Western cultural context, to understand this, but it is literally the worst thing a person can do in a multitude of cultures around the world. Where greed in the Western context is the desire to acquire more at the expense of others, more communal thought uh, talks of Hoarding is the desire to keep what you have at the expense of others. Um, the man who hoards food while the people around him starve puts his life above those of the others and so stoop to killing them for food in this way of thinking. And there's a whole bunch of, of you know, obviously uh, applications in modern society with the 1% and all that. Anyway, uh, that's a bunch of awesome Wendigo facts from Timon. So thank you very much, Timon. Hello to Achille. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, best wishes from the howling wilderness in the north. Nice. Rock on. Heard from Vile Kyle. <laughs> oh, he's just the filthiest Kyle. And also a garbage pail kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I just listened to your T. Krulos episode. First of all, I'm buying both of his books come payday. Second, I have some insight on what may have happened to the paranormal investigator in the basement of the honky tonk, Bob M. Mackey's. Uh, I believe what may have happened is called conversion disorder or hysterical blindness. This occurs when someone is under extreme emotional duress and can cause temporary blindness, which may have been brought on by being back at the location of a traumatic event. And for losing feeling in her hands, that is also another symptom of high stress levels or high blood pressure. Now, believe me when I say I'm no way downplaying what happened. I have had hysterical blindness once before while driving, and it's absolutely terrifying. I would bet while you're driving, being blind is kind of terrifying. Dave. 
yeah, I don't want I don't want to hysterically be blind. Yeah, and ever. Unless, but I kind of do want to be blinded by science. Hmm. If I have to pick a way. Also, if he plans on interviewing people with a religious perspective about the end of times, he should speak with Jehovah's Witnesses. They have an interesting take, and they'll talk to anyone. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you don't have to convince them to talk to you. All right. Thank you, Vile Kyle. Thanks, Vile Kyle. <laughs> got an email from Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Jordan writes, uh, I just listened to the podcast about the Codex Gigas Codex and heard Gigas. that Stecco had recently moved. That's true. Oh, Jordan lives here in Iowa City with me now. Um, oh Offer some great suggestions as where to grab some food and drinks. Motley Cow is a great local restaurant. Haven't been there yet. I have been to the Clinton Street Social Club. Well, uh, well, well, yeah. Clinton Street Social Club. <laughs> did you did you wear your straw hat there? That's right. Did you punch Farmer's it when you mark. when your your political? Uh, okay, yeah, I'm ending. I'm ending that. <laughs> you, 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 you got abort, anything else? In there? Abort. Um. Oh, Jordan George's is my single favorite bar in all of Iowa City, and I really like hanging out there and eating their very cheap burgers. Uh, uh, Jordan, hit me up. Let's go grab a beer, man. I'm into it. I've got your email right here. I want to harass you. It'll be awesome. You heard it here. That's right. Uh, keep up the great work. The show is a pleasure to listen to. Having two friends goof off while talking about genuinely interesting topics makes my day. Also, he says I have to go hiking to, at Hickory Hill. Okay. He says it's easy. That's my favorite part. Thanks, Jordan. I mean, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Uh, Dave heard from Ghost Romancer. What? Uh, Ghost that sounds Romancer. a little necro-problematic. Uh, yeah, it's either uh, someone who uh, controls ghosts uh, through the use of the black arts or someone mm-hmm. who romances ghosts. Yeah. Ghost Mi- romance. It's not about sex. It's about the romance. It's about wooing a ghost. <laughs> ghost woo. It's about the boo-wooing. he's got a PSA for us summertime is also a popular time for hiking and people have to be aware of a menace that plagues the waterways of many forests (gasps) it lies seemingly dormant in rivers and streams waiting for unwitting recreationalists uh, of whose bodies it will enter completely undetected from there it will rack the host's body causing pain diarrhea fevers and vomiting Tearing through the body, it will continue its way into other waterways looking for future victims. This menace, cryptid sporidium. Oh, everybody likes a little parasitic disease pun. <laughs> uh, Listen to us for a couple of months, uh, still catching up. Oh, heard, heard about us when uh, the campaign podcast mentioned us. So hats off oh. to the campaign podcast. Yes. Thanks, campaign podcast. Thank you, guys. And thank you, ghost romancer. Ghostromancer, ghost romancer. Either way, he's loving on the ghosts. <laughs> Either way, got an email from Corey. Oh, our 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 favorite Corey. Corey. Yep. Corey writes. Hello, Dave and David. Quick. Hi, note. Corey. Hello, hello. Busy lately, and regrettably not much time to write. What the fuck is up with the Lego Satan and the Gigas flame dildo in his hand? Am I missing some symbolism? <laughs> he's no, talking you about. You nailed it. It's a burning <laughs> you know, dildo. Yeah, you're right uh, on. There's no symbolism, but. Uh, Lego Satan has a plan with a burning dildo for everybody. So, you know, straighten up, fly right. Don't, don't let him yeah. do what he wants. That's that. It is a pretty direct message. Do not get pyrosodomized. 
Corey's talking about the the Lego picture I made for the Codex Gigas, Codex Gigas episode, uh, in which I had a little Lego Satan holding a Lego um, quill, as in like a pin, you know. A qu- I, I as think in you mispronounce it. It's it's a quildo. <laughs> it's a quilt, but it ended up looking quite a bit like a quildo. With, incidentally, I pull it up now. Incidentally, which we are probably maybe a year or two from the quildo <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Anyway, um, I didn't think of it until afterwards when not only Corey, but a few other people pointed it out. Yeah, you know, I, I was working with what I had, and what I had just happened to look like a quildo. <laughs> it totally is a dick. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, because the quilt is angled backwards. <laughs> it's a quill! It's not. Ah! It's the devil's dildo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Corey, you just get cooler every single time I see you. That's great. Thanks, Corey. Thanks a lot, Corey. (laughs) And finally, Dave, we've heard from Boz, who's just discovered uh, our excellent podcast, Londoner, and I love the way you do the English accents. See? See? These... uh, You... you write these, and a month later they come on exactly the right episode they should. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna print this one out and laminate it, <laughs> and put it on the wall. This is all the license we need. We got a nine, nine of ten for authenticity, especially the London ones. I wish that we knew the difference. <laughs> There's probably a lot of difference within London itself. I'm, I'm. Guessing. I think the London ones are what we would call a Firth. Do you? Because I would think uh, uh, East End. I would think the the Cockney. I don't know. I don't know. See? I, this is how yeah, terrible we are. We're the worst. But well, you're the best. So thank, thank you, you all for writing very much. Thank you so much for the five-star reviews on iTunes. We are cutting a swath of positivity through there. Please keep those uh, rolling yeah, uh, for us. I love those. Thank you so much for uh, liking us on Facebook. We are just chewing through the 13th Hildo. Yeah, the the devil's quildo. <laughs> the, dev- the devil's quildo. Makes no sense. Uh, please uh, continue to do that. Don't forget, patreon.com slash blurry photos. If you want to be a part of this rumbling uh, war wagon of, of fun, fun-tacular fan dangling. Honestly, if you, if you can find another war wagon of fan danglery, good luck. <laughs> go, just, just go find it. <laughs> Um, also don't forget to get yourself a free audiobook, audibletrial.com slash blurry photos. Follow us on Twitter at blurry underscore photos. Um, also check out candy chat, uh, which is a great, uh, related podcast related only in so much as we, we have our finger in that particular, I don't want to ruin the secret. <laughs> uh, don't forget to check out the Chicago podcast cooperative. What an amazing conflagration of very talented podcasters that cover so many topics that, man, uh, even if you listen to this and we're like, fuck those two jokers, I'm never listening to them again, go to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative and find another podcast that you do like. And I don't even hate you for it. On mic. Off mic? Well, your ass is mine, Chico. <laughs> uh, also, the Dark Myths Group. With the recent edition of Expanded Perspectives, Kyle and Cam, our good friends from Texas, have joined the Dark 
uh, Myths group. Yep. So check them out. Check out the rest of the Dark. Group. Yeah, and also recent edition, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, hosted by oh. our good friend D.B. Spitzer. Oh, the drunk Satan robot. I didn't know he got on there. Yep. Yep. That's glorious. Oh, high fives all around. What a fun mystery bus for us to all ride on. <laughs> With the business concluded, and for this episode of Blurry Photos, I've been David Rindelson Florist. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I have been Dave. I'd love to stay and talk, but I have got so many. These probings are just stacking up on me. I got a lot of probings to get to, Stecco. <laughs> and get ready. Even more bands have been signed on to the 2016 Suffocation! Rendlesham Raver. On the Orford Nest Lighthouse stage, appearing live, The Owlman Parsons Project. Dirty Burroughs in a Peniston playing touches. Pink Floyd. And the soothing melodies of 80 soft rock icons, Air Sabine. 